We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. It's me, Joey P. Joe Pizzapia. And this is the Rotowire DFS podcast sponsored by FanDuel. I am your host. And with me today to kick off week one is the man, DVR, Derek Van Riper. Derek, football, it's here. It's week one. It's DFS. Are you excited? I'm very excited. I didn't play any of the Thursday contests. So I didn't have Kareem Hunt tearing it up last night. I uh, didn't have the Hunt Alex Smith stack that everybody was talking about. So, you know, I missed out on that, but I'm ready for week one. Yeah, I don't know if Eric, you know, it's funny. Uh, week one is a, is a fickle mistress. You know, right now, Alex Smith is uh, Dan Marino, Kareem Hunt is Jim Brown, and the Patriots are never going to win another football game, right? I mean, the overreactions have begun one game into the season already, but. We have got a lot to do today. We are going to break down the week one slate. First, before we get going, let's talk about the difference of playing this main slate on Sunday as opposed to playing the Sunday-Monday loop because you have the two games on Monday night, which is not the norm, but it is the norm for week one. I prefer to stay with the Sunday only. That's, that's my preference personally as a player. I don't like to add in those other ones, especially when you have a Drew Brees in the other one potentially. Uh, it's just not how I like to – you know, roll with the extra players, get more possibilities and outcomes out of that. I'm curious, what's your take on this? Are you more of a Sunday only, or do you like to do the wraparound Sunday into Monday? I prefer the Sunday only, and this would be the one week where I'm a little more interested in Monday with the two games, even though fundamentally I hate the two-game concept on a Monday night. So like, it's good from a DFS perspective, but bad from a viewing perspective. And it's worse for people like you on the East Coast. I mean, the Eastern time zone, that second game runs late I mean, if you're anywhere else in the country you can you can manage and sure you can manage Audis too but what's the point of two monday night games in week one what does that really accomplish to only do it that week like i, I thought maybe a few years ago the first time they ever did it it was to experiment with the idea of making that a regular sort of thing clearly that's not it it's just one week and then they they back away from it 
I mean, what's the point of that? I don't know, but I'll tell you this. I would gladly trade Thursday night football for two Monday night games and just everything be done. And if two Monday night things was always going to be the thing and there was like an East Coast version, a West Coast version, a six o'clock start and a nine o'clock, however you want to work that out, I'm actually okay with that. I I prefer that the Thursday night game I think is such a – such a wretched thing from a fantasy standpoint, from a from a player standpoint. They hate it. Everybody everybody seems to hate it except the NFL because they're making money off of it. So uh, I, I'm okay with the, the, the two options on Monday because, you know, if that first game's good, you're into it, and then you start to watch the second one. But the first game's bad. You go, ah, uh, you know, the second game, you know, later tonight, maybe kids go to bed, you know, East Coast. That's the plus. You know, kids are in bed at 9 o'clock. You can watch a whole interrupted football game for two and a half hours. So that is the one plus there. Uh, all right, let's get to it. Let's uh, start breaking down these prices. We'll start with the quarterbacks here. Drew Brees at the top of the board. If you are playing the uh, wraparound there at 8,600, then you got Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers. Now, here's a fun stat for you. Super Bowl losers on the road the last 16 years, 2-14. and 14. What do you think of that stat? It's a weird stat. Uh, I think a lot of times those matchups are probably tougher than the one Atlanta has this week. And you know, they have to go on the road. And people can be underestimating the Bears a little bit, even though they're going to be almost certainly a bad team, the kind of team that wins five games this year. They may be competent defensively. They may have an offense that behind Jordan Howard in the running game, it runs a slow tempo, doesn't turn the ball over a ton, and is good enough to hang around. I, I could see that kind of being the, the MO of this team. So, while the Bears could be a team that maybe covers at home this week, I don't have any concerns really about Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Devontae Freeman and the Falcons' big-name players putting up solid weeks. All right, then you got Aaron Rodgers, who's actually, you know, ironically because it's he's at home, but against Seattle, is priced down a little bit less than usual, which I imagine is going to be very appealing on one end because of the price, and on the other end, you have to worry about it because you're saying, all right, well, it is a Seattle defense, uh, and that you know that is a very good group. Does this scare you at all, or the little bit of a discount, a couple hundred dollars, actually gets you excited for Rodgers in cash games. I haven't thought about using Rodgers in cash or GPPs yet, and I've been thinking about this slate in some capacity for probably two full weeks now. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just think it's it's a contrarian call in tournaments if you do it, and even then, you know, I think this game it's gonna it's gonna kind of toe the line of the over under total. It's gonna be really tight throughout. And we've had uh, the Seahawks make that trade, add Sheldon Richardson. That's kind of a big get for that defensive line. Maybe it takes a few weeks for him to get fully acclimated to the system. But Seattle's defense looks like it's going to be really tough again. Uh, so I could see this being a slightly below-the-curve type of game for Rodgers, which is certainly not rocket science given what Seattle has accomplished. So I think if there were more of a discount, if you were priced more like Cam, if you are like 7900 at that point, it would be worth the risk. Yeah, I think the ownership would be through the roof then on him. Uh, you know, the other side of that game, you got Russell Wilson, who's had bad outings against the Green Bay Packers. But I do want to point out, you know, this is not like baseball where you want to take big samples of BVP and things like that. I think you throw a lot of that historical stuff out the window for most of the time. I, I, I tend not to pay attention to that. I know a lot of people don't like him because of that. And I also know that a lot of people don't realize that Green Bay was one of the worst, in fact, the worst in terms of yardage through the air last year. So there's opportunity there with a healthy 100% Jimmy Graham with Baldwin for Russell to be maybe a lower-owned guy in some of those games today. And we all know Russell Wilson can use his legs as well and get your points that way. So I'm curious, Russell Wilson at 8K or Aaron Rodgers at 83, who's the more appealing on this game? 
I think the more appealing play is Wilson, despite the lack of success at times against the Packers. I mean, the, the Seahawks have, have won some pretty big games against Green Bay, but Wilson had the four picks in the playoff game a few years ago. I mean, that was that was one of the biggest surprises about that game is how poorly Russell Wilson played and the Packers still didn't win it. But instead of turning this pod into a therapy session for me as, as a Packers fan, I've been <laughs> so many times. Uh, I do like Wilson a little more at that price. I mean, the mobility should be there. He had ankle and knee injuries last year that really slowed him down. Uh, you take that out of the equation, I think we're talking about a guy that has the potential to be a tournament-winning quarterback this week because the Green Bay secondary uh, has some concerns. And you know, the pass rush for me is really inconsistent too because Clay Matthews just has a difficult time staying on the field. So I think when you look at Seattle, first thing you think about maybe is the offensive line you know, being the worst in the league. It's by design. Wilson can move the pocket. He's got a strong arm. He's got a healthy Jimmy Graham. He's got Doug Baldwin. And he's got three running backs he'll be leaning on, too. So I think this is going to be a great game. And I think Wilson's going to be, uh, relative to Rodgers, the slightly better value this week. Yeah, I also, the reason why I prefer Wilson, too, is because uh, it's much cheaper to pair him with Baldwin than it is to go up and pay for like the Nelson and Rogers grouping. Uh, you could also pair him with Jimmy Graham if you prefer to, and you can leave those wide receivers open. So I think Wilson gives you a little bit more flexibility. I don't feel as good about right now pairing Bennett with Rogers. You know, maybe it's just me. I haven't seen it yet. I have a hard time buying it. It wouldn't shock me if it was the thing. But right now, you know, when I'm putting money on the line, it's not necessarily where I want to go. And those two are very, you know, Baldwin and Graham, very appealing. And you could even go all three if you wanted to. I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily either because I think this running game is still suspect to say the least. All right, let's continue to go through this slate here. you got Roethlisberger, 8,200. It's at Cleveland. The question is, we know the last three years, the stats, I don't care who the opponent is, the stats on the road tell you Ben Roethlisberger, not the same quarterback. So are you finding him to buck this trend here on Sunday against Cleveland or do you think this is a trap because of that very notion you know I think the the Rutzberger road splits are real but you have to look at the quality of the opponent too you have to factor that in and with the Browns uh, expected to have Miles Garrett down with that high ankle sprain uh, they're already without Joe Hayden because they flipped him to the Steelers as part of the, they let him go I should say and the Steelers picked him up so you know this is a defense that could be average when it's all said and done this year, but they may be reeling from the loss of some important pieces over the last week now. Uh, I, I look at the Steelers as a team that, because their offense is so explosive, because Ben has the security to hand it out to Le'Veon Bell, you know, there's just a high floor right there as far as the TD opportunities go. I think the problem is going to be game flow, right? The yardage is going to be a problem for Ben. So he may go on the road and may throw it 30 times instead of 40-plus, and as a result, they're protecting a lead. The volume's not there, and we're disappointed at 8,200. So to me, it's not so much the road, but it's that the opponent quality is too low from the Browns' perspective and their ability to actually keep pace with the Steelers' offense. All right, good points there. All right, let's go to Marcus Mariota at 78. Uh, this is my favorite uh, of the terms of price and return on investment. I think this is the sweet spot. I'm sure Mariota's. Uh, ownership will be fair. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, also, another guy that's easy to pair in tournaments too with Rashard Matthews, very cost efficient with a Delaney Walker. If you want to go the Eric Decker out, you can go that way too. So, another very cost effective quarterback along with the pairing element, which is something you have to keep in mind too. You know, when you want to pay up for those premium guys like the Matt Ryans and the Julios, that's going to eat into your budget quite a big deal. You can still get a Julio in your lineup, get primetime guys like David Johnson, the big running backs 
if you're willing to fade the quarterback wide receiver pairing that you're using. And I, you know, I think Mariota is a perfect example of that. Him and Carr at 77. Now you got those guys, uh, you know, right about the same. I prefer Mariota. I'm curious, where do you lie between Carr and Mariota at this price? Yeah, I like Mariota better from both a season-long perspective and from a week one perspective. The Titans, as it lines up right now, are projected to be a top five scoring offense in this matchup. The over-under total in this game is very high. I think it's like 51 and a half. Uh, the Titans are favored. So you look at the, the Patriots, the Falcons, the Steelers, those are the three highest implied total teams this week. Patriots uh, fell a little short, of course, of those expectations last night. But that's a really favorable setup. And it's one of the few games where the implied total is high and the line is tight. So you have no blowout potential. I mean, the Titans aren't going to blow out the Raiders. It seems almost certain that they won't. And I like the back and forth nature of the way this one could play out. I'm more inclined, though, and I think about pairing Mariota with another player. I think it's a, it's a quarterback running back stack. You know, That's I think, not bad either. No, Murray's think, a good one, too. Yeah, Mariota Murray to me makes more sense than trying to figure out which of those receivers might go off. I mean, the thing I like about the Titans offense and why I like Mariota so much this year, you add Corey Davis, you add Eric Decker, you bring back Rashard Matthews, you still have Delaney Walker. A lot of ways he can, he can go through the air, and I think it's going to be difficult to pair a pass catcher with Mariota, especially early in the season, not knowing just how much Davis is involved and not knowing where Decker's at health-wise in particular. So I'd rather try to get the Mariota production and then pile up extra points to the Titans offense with DeMarco Murray. You know, of course, in a DFS format, you're not worried about the durability as much. You're just looking at him as a guy that could go off this week because the team's projected to score a ton of points. Yeah, and look, and even as a third wide receiver, this is this is something, you know, some people tell you, well, you know, you don't want to get too heavy into one team with the stack sometimes and use the running back and the quarterback and the wide receiver. Listen, I used to do the write-ups for for FanDuel and the uh, the millionaire maker every every time. The, and I'll tell you what, more often than not, that top lineup had Roethlisberger, Bell Brown. It had uh, Carson Palmer, David Johnson, and Fitzgerald. It had those three entities, and they just all went off. And it's because you can control all the offense within one team. And, you know, you have to look for that expected total. You have to be aware of that. But, you know, I, I think you make a great point in there, adding Murray along with Mariota also, you know, pretty cost-effective when you look at the top of the board for running backs and how expensive they are. Uh, there's two more quarterbacks I want to touch on real quick here. Carson Palmer, who I think is going to be very popular in, in GPPs. I think his ownership is going to be higher than people might expect. Uh, he's at Detroit. You know, lineup, uh, excuse me, uh, environment controlled there with him. Fitzgerald, very cost-effective. David Johnson, that's another one where I would use all three of them and be perfectly fine, but I think that's going to be pretty popular. I want to throw this out there because I've done a, I've done a few lineups here with him, and uh, I know some people might think I'm crazy, but hear me out. $6,400 Brian Hoyer with the Kyle Shanahan offense with a good chance they're playing from behind. I love him and Garcon as a pairing, and I'll tell you what, I don't feel bad about him and Hyde either. Hoyer's had plenty of moments where he can get you 19, 20 points with ease. Uh, he did it with the Texans. He did it with the Bears last year. And for 6,400, this opens you up to the world of the top running backs. Yeah, it does. It gives you the opportunity to get at least one of Le'Veon Bell and, and David Johnson. If you're going to use Carlos Hyde, then yeah, it's just one and not both. But uh, the Hoyer at 6,400 thing is pretty interesting. I think he's kind of a Maybe a coin flip for me with, with Jared Goff at 6,600. The Colts defense won't have Vontae Davis. Yep. Uh, they don't have Andrew Luck offensively. So it could be a day where the Rams actually put you know, low to mid-20s 
on the board. Like that's not something you necessarily expect from from the Rams, but this is a team that's improved. They've improved the line. They've got a new head coach. They've got Goff in year two. They've got Sammy Watkins out there. Uh, Robert Woods, I mean, he's not a game breaker, but to add a player like that to what you already have along with Watkins, that whole new cast of weapons, Gerald Everett at tight end, it's a really interesting group of players. So I think there's there's reason to consider Hoyer. There's even reason to consider Goff, especially in, in GPPs. I don't know if I would do it in cash. I think in cash. No, games, no. Yeah, I wouldn't do it in cash either. No way, because you, you have to get a little bit more foundation at quarterback, God forbid. But see, the reason I prefer Hoyer to Goff is the, is if we're going to game script a little bit, I would imagine, you know, Gurley's still a big focal point. I imagine if they do get a lead, they'll sit on it, control with the defense, whereas San Fran, I expect to be behind. I expect to be throwing. And I expect them to be, you know, aggressive with nothing to lose, which is very dangerous. You know, when you're, you're that home team, nobody expects you to win. Uh, I think it's a, a very dangerous spot here for Carolina, especially with a Cam Newton who is not necessarily 100% healthy, although he's playing. So to me, I think this San Fran game might be a little bit, you know, look, it's, it's a GPP play. <laughs> that's what it is, and that's the point. But the salary relief you get from Hoyer, and I think he is a bit more responsible than some other quarterbacks you're going to find most weeks in that 6K range. All right, let's go to the running backs, and I'll tell you what. I did this easily, and I don't know if I should be able to, but I did. But I've got lineups here with David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell together, and it's not that hard. It's not that hard to do, <laughs> putting it right out there. Where I still got Devontae Adams, I still have Fitzgerald. Now you do have to go down to Hoyer, you know, a quarterback to get a little relief there. You had to go down to maybe an Ertz, but Garcon Hoyer together. I was able to do it with a very respectable defense. So basically, if you want to pay up for both of them, you can do it with ease this week. Yeah, you definitely can. Uh, when you look at the two running backs, I mean, Johnson and Bell, I prefer Johnson this week just because of the Bell holdout. I mean, there's still that possibility. Uh, if the game flow is as I expect where Cleveland's trailing and, and Steelers are, are just running the ball, they may want to just ease Le'Veon Bell back in. They may want to give him 15 carries instead of 25 this week. I don't think it's going to last long. I think it's going to be kind of a early season blip on the radar when it's all said and done this year and you know bell could take 15 carries and gain 100 yards and catch some passes and still be fine uh but if i'm choosing between the two if i can't have them both if i'm not building a hoyer lineup david johnson's a choice for me you know the extra 100 bucks is uh, nothing to worry about you know we know his role is even safer in week one than bell's i don't know if tomlin's the kind of coach who's going to be upset about the holdout or if he's going to just bury it and say you know what we're going to do what we always do with Le'Veon bell uh, so keep that in mind as a, a possible concern. Uh, I'm looking at the top of the running back board. Zeke against the Giants is actually a pretty tough matchup, even though he's going, so I'm not really going to be interested in that. You like Freeman at 8,300 going up against the Bears? I mean, it's 1000 bucks less than Le'Veon Bell. You know, I do like Freeman, and I think that I like him more than I like Julio or Matt Ryan in this game uh, because I, I think the volume is – or predictable. You know, whenever you're doing DFS, the first thing with NFL is, and, and for those of you who are just getting into it, it's volume. Understanding how to control that volume and try to give yourself the best scenario. You know, when we talk about Christian McCaffrey later on when we hit this running back grouping here. You know, there's a perfect example of a guy who has a lot of upside, a lot of potential, a lot of game-breaking ability, but what's the volume going to be? You know, we're not quite sure yet. So a guy like Devontae Freeman, especially in a full-point PPR scenario, I like him even more in the half-point. I still, I think at 8,300 is still good, especially when you have a slate where you lose some options. You lose a Jai at 78 this week, you know, so because of the, the game being moved with the hurricane. So I think that's always a tricky spot where you start to lose guys. Yeah, it is. I mean, I look at the, 
the Ajayi thing, of course, is a just natural sort of, well, okay, we can't do anything about that, so whatever. Uh, but it does thin out the tier a little bit. Uh, DeMarco Murray, who I mentioned before, at 7,600 is one of my options I really like. You know, I'm not going near Lamar Miller. Todd Gurley's going to be so chalky at 7,300. Everybody's seeing that game the same way. You know, the Colts with Tolzien won't be good. Defensive concerns I mentioned before. The Rams may be protecting a lead and still being somewhat conservative because they don't want to have Jared Goff air it out more than he has to. I mean, do you expect Todd Gurley to be the most owned running back in week one? I do. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I'm okay with it. You know, I, I think we also might get to a point, and this happens quite a bit, where people expect it so much where it actually doesn't happen. You know, where people talk about it, they say, oh, it's going to be the chalk, it's going to be the chalk, and end up, it ends up actually taking ownership percentage off. And I love Gurley this week. It's almost impossible not to at that price. But for me, I, I think that the, it's too good of a return to pass up. And sometimes the chalk, especially in the cash game, is going to allow you the big quarterback. It's going to allow you a little bit more of a foundation and floor. I think it's a perfectly good way to go. All right, so let's continue on with the running backs here. Actually, you know what? Before we even do, let's go back to Zeke for a second. We talk about ownership percentage, right? Everybody knows he's had tough games against the Giants. He's got this one game here after all of this. I know it's a little bit of a narrative. It's Sunday night football, all this opportunity here. Do you think because of all that negative stuff around Zeke, including the matchup last year where twice against the Giants, those are the worst two games of the year, you could argue, is that make Ezekiel Elliott a little bit more appealing because you're still getting a prime talent and now the ownership on that prime talent is far less than it would be on a normal week for many reasons? I think it's it's kind of the opposite where I, I think people are going to be all over him. I think the I think, okay. I think I think the public generally doesn't actually care. Like the, the fantasy playing public, maybe the the broad public cares about what he did or didn't do in this case. I mean, it, we're at the point where you know it, it's 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 taken enough turns where the entire story is just way bigger than we than we really ever knew. But regardless of what you think of Zeke, I, I just expect people to be on this narrative that. He's going to come out and he's going to be extra motivated to really stick it to Goodell in the league and, and have this big game on Sunday night. It's like, what, what part of Ezekiel Elliott makes you think that he's not trying to do that all the time? Like, this, he's one of the best running backs we've ever seen. I mean, his season last year was ridiculous. And I think it's really just the quality of the Giants' defense. I think it's legitimately one of the better defenses in the league. And the price at 8700 is it's not it's not really a discount. It's, it's just a fair price for a tough matchup. And maybe it's a little bit like the Rogers Seattle matchup where, yeah, that's a good analogy. You're not crazy if you play it, but there's plenty of other things that make more sense to me when I look at the position, the way the pricing is generally, and this is just my feeling. I feel like the pricing here on FanDuel is more cash game friendly this week than it is GPP friendly. And now maybe that's because, you know, some of the injuries haven't gone yet and maybe because you don't have some of those other options out there or, you know, pricing hasn't fluctuated yet. But looking at it, going through it, I think cash game lineups are, are much easier to make. Um, the The GPP lineups are there. It's, it's not a hard thing to do, but I think in terms of friendly pricing – it's very friendly. It's easy to get big running backs. It's easy to, to add in very responsible wide receivers there. And that's, that's going to be fascinating to see what kind of lineup actually wins these tournaments this weekend because of that factor. But let's talk about uh, DeMarco Murray, who you mentioned at 76. I think we both agree on him. At 75, Jordan Howard right underneath him. Now, 
the Atlanta Falcons struggled last year, the Super Bowl with James White when last we saw them. Is Jordan Howard going to give them problems as well? Maybe out of the backfield catching some balls. Maybe that's the way to, to beat up Atlanta a little bit over the middle. Yeah, that, that could certainly be a part of it. I mean, he's going to be a focal point for the Bears offense because the, the first question you have when you think about the Bears is, who's Mike Glennon going to throw the ball to? And mm, Jordan tough. Howard, Jordan Howard <laughs> is one of the guys you're like, well, he'll dump it off to Jordan Howard. <laughs> he's going to probably throw to him 65, 70 times this year. I mean, like a 65-catch season for Jordan Howard's not not out of the realm of possibility. It's four catches per game. I think he can, he can do that over the course of the year. Kevin White is a number one. I mean, I don't think the Bears are even confident in, in White's ability to stay healthy and, and be a true number one capable of beating opposing teams' top corners. So it may be the Jordan Howard show week in and week out. I mean, this could be an elite workload. Uh, your concerns about the, the Atlanta run defense, I think, are, are fair. And you know, the Bears are going to find creative ways to get the ball into Howard's hands. There's no doubt about that. And I, I think he'll be low-owned. I think the way people are looking at that game, they're expecting – Falcons to come out and to roll and for Mike Glennon to have to throw to his bad group or wide receivers. But it it may not happen like that. It could at least be close through three quarters. And if it's close for three quarters, Jordan Howard's going to get 20 carries easily. I want to bring up Melvin Gordon at 74. If you're playing the wraparound, you know, everybody automatically goes, oh, it's Denver. You know, let's, let's go away from him. But it's 74. Let's, let's also look last year against Denver. He had 23 carries for 111 yards, and he had seven targets, caught four of those balls for 44. Now, he didn't see the end zone, but he still put up 17 and a half points last year. And, you know, people don't realize that just because their defense is quite good, their run defense specifically last year was not. It's actually towards the bottom of the league. Does that make Melvin Gordon a more appealing option and maybe a pivot off of the Todd Gurley at 73, who you think might be a little bit more chalk, is Melvin Gordon, if you're playing the wraparound, maybe the guy that, to differentiate yourself but still have the same kind of core lineup. Or if you're doing multiple lineups, you know, have a, a one with Gurley at 73 and then have one with Melvin Gordon at 74. Yeah, I think the, the idea of Gordon as a, a pivot point, if you're going to play the wraparound contest, makes a lot of sense because the volume seems extremely safe. And, you know, a lot of times you're – your players that you're pivoting to, your third receiver or your tight end are, are guys that you're looking at and you're saying, okay, I, I could see J.J. Nelson scoring a 70-yard TD, stuff like that. Melvin Gordon's going to touch the ball a lot, regardless of what happens. I don't think the Broncos are going to blow anybody out this season. So that's a great setup, too. You know, even though the Broncos are favored, they have the good defense that you mentioned, Gordon should be relatively fine. And you know, if you, you add a touchdown to his game from their Week 8 meeting last year, he would have had a monster game against the Broncos and and that would change the narrative for people too so I think it's a good differentiation point I think I won't have any Sunday into Monday contests so it's not something I can act on but I like having something that's pretty chalky otherwise in your lineup and then Gordon just being something that you do is different yeah and I think Gordon's the one to do because like you said you know the volume's going to be there and he's had success in the past so that is a positive thing it's not like you know something that's going to hurt your your thoughts about him and then we know that Denver, from a run defense standpoint, isn't that great, or at least wasn't last year. Now, you know, year to year, those rankings kind of change, but, you know, it's pretty drastic. We're talking bottom third of the league here as opposed to, you know, top third. That is a big swing for them to improve. Uh, Lamar Miller, Leonard Fournette, I know everyone's excited about the rookie here, but I'm not excited about him in Houston <laughs> making his debut, so I'm going to pass on those guys. But I do want to go down and talk about uh, Marshawn Lynch for a second here. Uh, 6,900 to me. There's not enough appeal yet. 
and maybe this is another one of these things where I got to see it first. I'm sure he's going to be good for a touchdown. I'm sure as a second running back, you can make the argument for him, but it's another one where I go, ah, I just feel like I'd rather pay up a little bit more for the Jordan Howards of the world. What are your thoughts on Lynch? I think Lynch is okay. I mean, I think FanDuel being half point PPR makes him more viable than some of the other sites out there where you're getting a full point PPR. Uh, the Titans run defense, you know, is that one that you're, you're worried about at all? Because the setup, I mean, I mentioned before the, the high scoring nature that's expected from that game, I think that's going to hold up. And if it does, you know, they're going to they're gonna run Lynch at least 15 times. They yeah, are. They passes, are. And his, his floor for, for workload is pretty stable. But they were good against the run last year, the Tennessee Titans. That was their strong suit, actually. So, you know, not, not that, you know, Marshawn Lynch is your average running back, but this is an older Marshawn Lynch. This is a Marshawn Lynch, too, where, you know, I want to see how he handles the, the repetition here. You know, I think we all love Marshawn Lynch, but now it's a matter of can we figure out Marshawn Lynch now at this stage of his career and what he is. Well, I like, I actually like both running backs in the Carolina San Francisco game more than I like Lynch because they're both cheaper. Hyde's $100 cheaper, $6,800. You know, we know he's going to be heavily involved. That's uh, a very fair price for a guy that can catch some passes and great. You know, he, they might lose, but he could actually be productive in a losing effort. But the guy on the other side of that game, Christian McCaffrey at $6,500, that is a, a bargain. Like, this is a team in Carolina that has made packages for Christian McCaffrey. And everything about him seems underrated. Like, it, it's unbelievable that he doesn't pass the eye test for everybody. Like, when you watch Christian McCaffrey play, he looks like he's playing in fast forward. And everybody else around him playing in regular speed. He can catch passes. He can run routes. He's going to get chances between the tackles, too. And Jonathan Stewart's 30, and he's always hurt. So to think that Christian McCaffrey from $6,500 can't generate value against the Niners is, is absurd. I, I I don't know how he won't be after Gurley, maybe the second highest owned running back this week. Well, I guess people will still question the volume and how he's going to be utilizing the offense. I know I am, and I, I agree with you. I, I'm on Team McCaffrey, too, without a doubt. Uh, I love him. I think he's more of a GPP play because the volume is indetermined right now. I think Hyde is the safer one for the opposite reason because I think his volume is going to be very definitive because they don't have a lot of options there because it's basically Garcon and Hyde. So I expect the two of them to be utilized a great deal. And I think Hyde's going to catch some balls out of the backfield as well to keep an eye on that. So I think he brings a lot more floor than McCaffrey. But, you know, if you have one, maybe Hyde is, a, is more of the cash game guy. If you want to savings and pay up at a lot of big wide receivers, and McCaffrey will be more of the GPP version. And you're within that same mix. Is there anybody else there? Uh, I know Crowell at 65 is, is pretty steady in terms of volume. you got Bilal Powell at 63 who last year had a huge game against Buffalo, but Forte is healthy and going to be eating into that volume. Is he going to eat enough into that volume to make you shy away from Powell, or is that actually help Powell's ownership percentage keep a little bit lower than normal? You know, I think with, with the Powell uncertainty, he's, he's good tournament play this week. I have no feel for just how much they're going to use Forte, but I know that both backs could have a role as pass catchers because the receiving core is a mess. They just brought back Jeremy Curley. They traded for Jermaine Curse. You know, Robbie Anderson's kind of the number one by default. No offense, Ferry and Jenkins this week. So it could be a really heavy workload for the backs. And the funny thing that people keep doing with the Bills is they're just, they're just writing the Bills in as easy winners over the Jets. Like to the point of people are using the Bills in Survivor. I know that the spread's pretty big in this game and the Jets are going to be pretty bad all year. Almost like we're underestimating 
how bad the bills are too. Like this, <laughs> this is a more level playing field than people realize. And I think that bodes well for Bilal Powell this week. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I'm, I'm buying the Bilal Powell as well for the same reason. I'm not too afraid that Forte is going to eat enough. Plus who are the jets going to throw to? Right. You want to talk yeah. about another spot where who, who's he going to, who, who's left to throw to you talk about Jordan Howard. Well, how about McCown? Who the hell is he throwing the ball to? My guess, Bilal Powell is my, my guess is also, and see if you agree with this, when all said and done, he leads the league. He leads the Jets, not the league, please. He leads the Jets in receptions. What are your thoughts on that? That could, yeah, that could be. I mean, <laughs> eight, eight catches. I mean, like that's that's not out of the question at all. <laughs> right. I mean, I feel like by the end of the year, you know, it's also depending on health. All right, let's rapid fire a couple of these guys. Get your gut reaction on these. Let's go through them fast. Adrian Peterson, six K narrative. You buying anything of that or sell it? <sighs> I, I think the t- the, the touch volume is the, the concern. And what's going to happen too is if he gets more carries than expected this week, people are going to like overplay it next week with the matchup against the Patriots and then be disappointed when Mark Ingram out carries him in week two. The Saints, for me, the running back situation, until one of those guys gets hurt, one of Ingram, Peterson, or Elvin Kamara goes down, I can't use any of that trio. I just can't I do agree. it. Yeah. All right, Frank Gore, 6K, responsible punt? No, no, that's, that's a self-hating punt. Okay, Paul Perkins, 6K. Yeah, that one's interesting to me. I mean, Paul Perkins looked pretty good down the stretch. The Giants have a lot of weapons on offense. They can move the ball as long as Eli's not a pick machine Sunday night. Dallas's defense is, you know, it's okay. Not good. <laughs> not, 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 not a defense you're, you're fearing in any sort of way, right? So Paul Perkins at 6,000 is probably one of the most interesting players on the board that will be lightly owned. You know, like, I, I don't know why there's not more buzz for him because – He's another one of the few running backs that doesn't have a lot of clear competition. For no, I, I agree. Dalman maybe eventually, and Orleans Darkwa, I guess, could be in the mix. But I, do you look at either one of those guys and think, oh, they have to push Perkins right away? Like I, I certainly don't. All right, let's rapid fire these other ones too. Derek Henry, fifty eight hundred. Any love there? I know we you know we talked about Murray earlier, but you know Henry gets his little uh, action here and there as well, and can be very effective at times. Yeah, GPP only because the, the over-under total in this one is, is high enough where there could be just enough volume for both Murray and Henry to eat. All right, what about uh, Thomas Rawls at 57 and Duke Johnson in that same vein at 56? I'm going to stay away from Duke, even though I can see the setup working for him. I think there's just too much risk with Crowell also catching a lot of passes last year. So the Browns running back situation is one I'm avoiding completely. Uh, Seattle's a little bit like New Orleans, you know, with Rawls and Eddie Lacy and Procyus, kind of a three-headed monster. I don't want to submit myself to that. Not, not when I have the, the entire pool, you know, of, of a bunch of other games to go with. This is a 12-game slate. Why, why deal with a three-man backfield where we have so much uncertainty? Yeah, I agree. All right, let's go over to wide receivers. Antonio Brown, no shock there, 9,100 top of the board. Julio Jones at 9K. Odell Beckham Jr. dealing with that ankle issue still. Uh, You know, I went from earlier in the week saying, yeah, you know what? I think Beckham actually is really appealing because if I know one thing about the drama queen, that he is going to play this up and then gloriously show up, you know, and, and, you know, save the day and play Sunday night. But now I'm having, uh, as closer we get here, I'm starting to have concerns about that, and I thought that would be a good thing for his ownership value too, but now I'm starting to stay away from this altogether. What are your thoughts on Beckham at 88? I think there's a distinct possibility that even if he plays, he could be very limited, mm-hmm. and the Giants hopefully will just err on the side of caution 
make sure that he's healthy, get him back for week two, week three, and just try to get this injury as far behind him as possible because it, it's significant enough where if you're limiting the effectiveness of each snap that he plays or just reducing the snap volume, you're not really doing yourself a service. I mean, the Giants need Odell Beckham to be productive. If they're, if they're going to have any real like legitimate Super Bowl aspirations, it's because they have the best receiver in the game playing at a high level when they get there because that's what Beckham can be. And if they screw around with this ankle injury and keep pushing him out there early in the year at less than 100%, it's the kind of thing that could be a two- or three-month problem or an all-season-long problem mm-hmm. as opposed to something that would go away if they just kind of err on the side of caution. Now, what does this do for Brandon Marshall's value? Because he's pretty discounted. His price is very user-friendly, I'd say, this week. And we, we just talked about Dallas's defense not being great, uh, especially giving up a, a lot of passing yards. I mean, if you, just, if you don't believe me, go back and watch that Green Bay playoff game from last year uh, or from this year, I should say. So Brandon Marshall at 6,800, is that bump Brandon Marshall up? I'll, I'll put it this way even better. If Odell Beckham is on the field, you like Brandon Marshall more, I'm assuming? Yeah, man, pulls attention away. Uh, okay. I think I think Marshall's more of a cash play than a GPP play. I don't think he has that ceiling that we saw two-plus years ago anymore. I think the injury is the age have, have caught up to him a little bit. Uh, the Giants with Perkins can run it a little bit. Evan Ingram's kind of interesting. Sterling Shepard might be more of a tournament play if Beckham sits. But I think I, think I see Marshall as like a solid cash play because 6800 is a very fair price for a guy that should get a good number of targets. You know, we haven't heard a lot of buzz about A.J. Green. I feel like that's the one guy nobody's been talking about. And, you know, I kind of understand why in a way, because Green to me, although, you know, he's super talented. I think we can all agree that. My problem with Green is it's, it's so up and down, and it makes him only a GPP guy to me because, you know, it's, the, it's like that Amari Cooper thing. It's like 30 or three, and I hate those kind of guys. Mike Evans was my favorite guy on the board hanging into this week, but unfortunately he's not an option because at 8,300, I thought that price was just absurd. Uh, but if you continue to go down here, you got Des Bryant, 78, Jordy Nelson, Amari Cooper, Doug Baldwin. This is a, a sweet spot here with these four guys where you have lots of opportunity. Jordy Nelson, obviously the safest probably of these guys, but Cooper probably the most, I would say, you know, potential big game here at the return because of the matchup with Tennessee. And then you got Baldwin, another guy who I don't think gets nearly enough respect. So you got Bryant, Nelson, Cooper, Baldwin, these four guys. Is there one or two for you that you lean or prefer in this price range? Yeah, I've been building lineups with Bryant and Baldwin ending up in a lot of them because I think Dez, I mean, in a typical healthy season, is more of like an eighty-two, dollars $8,300 receiver on a week-to-week basis. So you're getting a slight discount there. Uh, and Baldwin... Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, people don't realize how good this guy is. Look at the look at the TDs over the last two seasons. I mean, it's mm-hmm. been ridiculous. Came on strong in the second half of 2015. Uh, pr- proved last year that wasn't a fluke. And I, I know Russell Wilson's inconsistencies against the Packers are something that might drive some people away, but 7,500 on Baldwin, even if you're not going to use Wilson with him, I think that's at least worth considering because his price is very fair compared to the other top-tier receivers. All right, let's continue to go down this board too, which is which is kind of amusing because there's some weird game names like uh, you know Dequan Hampton 
and Kevon Lucas, who are 7K. I don't know what these weird placeholder things are. We were talking about this on my show yesterday. Nobody quite understands what that is or why they're there at that price range. But who knows? You know, uh, but you can't get, we'll get to this later too, but you can't get kickers that are actually active and playing for teams. There's a bunch of kickers that got released that are on there, but the their replacements aren't, which is kind of odd that that's not updated yet. Uh, Keenan Allen at 7K, if you're playing the wraparound, I think, although very tempting, because it's only the half-point PPR, I think a little less tempting against Denver. You get Alshon Jeffrey. Let's talk about Sammy Watkins. You mentioned Vontae Davis not in there. Uh, if you got love for Jared Goff a little bit, then I guess you got to have a little love for Sammy Watkins, right? Absolutely. He's a guy that can just do a lot after the catch. I mean, he may not have to get open downfield. It may be catching the ball close to the line of scrimmage, making a guy miss, and then just taking off and scoring from distance. And at 6,900, Watkins makes a lot of sense in GPPs. Uh, he's always been that way. He's, to me, he's never going to be that high-volume guy that you want to plug in on a week-to-week basis. So you know, take that with the appropriate grain of salt, but 6900 is a very fair price for Sammy Watkins. Now, at 6900 my favorite cash game wide receiver of last year, I pretty much started cash game lineups with him in it for the most part. Michael Crabtree, another guy, does not get enough credit, I think, for how important he's been to, the, uh, to that offense and to Derek Carr's development as well. Uh, Crabtree, I think, very safe, very good return. 69 is is a perfect price for him. We mentioned Marshall. How about Devontae Adams at 68? You know, if you're going to pair somebody with Rodgers, rather than going all the way up to Nelson – you know, I'm not sure. Is Sherman going to be on Nelson, or you might have a better gauge on this than I do? Yeah, I'm trying to think of past games that they've played against each other. Uh, Sherman does seem to get a good amount of Jordy Nelson. Yeah. But I, I forget, does Sherman still stay on one side of the field? Well, that's why I asked. Sherman's a one-side guy, I believe, unless unless that's going to change this year. But so far, to my memory, he, he believe he's a single-side guy. Now, maybe I'm just an idiot, but why don't teams just flip their best receiver away more often? I mean, is it, is it that much dip, more difficult to run the route from the left side of the line of scrimmage? As opposed well, it's easy to on Madden. You know, you just hit yeah. that button and you flip everybody. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> the players are just robots anyway. So, like, why, why is that so <laughs> difficult for them? I think of the two, Adams makes more sense. The cost savings are there. 6800 is a good price. Again, more GPP appeal than cash for me uh, because he, he's a little bit TD dependent. And the Packers have so many different weapons they can go to. A healthier Randall Cobb, you know, Martellus Bennett being part of the equation now. That might chip away at some of the red zone targets for Adams. But 6800 is a very fair price for him. Yeah, 66 for Pierre Garçon I mentioned earlier. I love that pairing with Hoyer. That in a GPP allows you to pay up all over the place. I mean, you're talking you could do the two big running backs easily. Uh, and get, you know, Bell and DJ in a lineup and some pretty solid wide receivers. It, it just opens the whole world to you. I think it's very rare you get a matchup with a quarterback and a wide receiver that's that seems good enough on paper, especially with game script in there too, where you think they can return their value and then just load up across the board everywhere else. And if they do play above mean and above expectations, then you are really going to hit some big spots there. All right, let's continue to go down this board. You got Emmanuel Sanders, a very steady guy, but again, that's a wraparound 66. Uh, I think that Charger defense is better than people are going to give it credit for, and they're going to learn real fast. Martavis Bryant, 65. Everybody says, oh, he's too touchdown dependent, but last time I checked, touchdowns are good. So what are your thoughts on Bryant at 65? Bryant could be the kind of player that also gets more volume now than he had two years ago because mm-hmm. personnel's changed a little bit, and we know – the Steelers are a skinny tree with their offense. They're, they're the modern Tecmo team. Like They lock in on a handful of players, and that's where the production comes from. 
He's a big receiver who can get downfield. He complements Antonio Brown very well. I think Bryant makes sense both in cash and in GPPs. The Brown secondary is going to have a field day. Tried to defend Brown and Bryant in tandem on Sunday. Kelvin Benjamin at that same price point is pretty interesting from a volume standpoint. No one likes him because he shows up to camp heavy, but he's the number one receiver coming out the torn ACL last year. He looked better than I thought at the beginning of the year uh, and clearly kind of faded from there. But I think he's in play against San Francisco. I mean, if you think Carolina is going to win this game, where else are they going to throw it besides McCaffrey and Benjamin? How much are they going to use Curtis Samuel? Don't know. <laughs> I mean, Greg Olson, I guess that's the other way. So if you feel, you know, better, Neil, that's the only question is a Greg Olson volume, you know, potentially going there, especially red zone target wise. But yeah, Benjamin, you know, is another one of these guys that is going to have low ownership. And that's a, that's a good thing to point out. Guys that have talent, low price, low ownership. Those are always a good recipe for your first success. Larry Fitzgerald at 64, another guy where he's going to have a ton of volume. You know, that's going to be the case. You know, this is the window here early in the season where Larry Fitzgerald is uber productive so you should be using him you know and then once you turn the page into middle October then you know it's time to move away from him last year he went 11 straight games in the second half without a touchdown that's not a good thing Uh, Larry Fitzgerald though early on at Detroit 64 sign me up I don't care if it's chalk Uh, I want some uh, I want some chalk no it's good it's good cash chalk with Larry Fitzgerald so I I co-sign on that Uh, what are you doing with Terrell Pryor this week seems like he's very affordable at 6,200. He's very affordable, but I'm going to pass. And, and the reason I'm going to pass is a, another one of those spots where I just haven't seen it. And I think, you know, there's, there's a plus to that. The plus to that is people taking the opportunity and advantage. But, you know, I think it depends on your, your stamina for it. And I also don't know if it's necessary. You know, with the way the pricing is this week, I think there's so many options and so many ways you can go where if we were on a bye week, I go, okay, yeah, you know what, he becomes more appealing. But right now, I mean, I guess it's a bye week when you ask uh, the Miami team (laughs) at Tampa. You know, if you ask those teams from Florida, it's a bye week for them. But for me, I think with so many options on the board, I'm going to pass on him. But I do understand the appeal. Anybody else here before we turn the page on wide receiver, that pops out to you. You know, some of the lower cost guys, the, the Cole Beasley's at 56, who always had a steady volume last year. The John Brown, who is another all or nothing at 5,700. Any of these like responsible punts at wide receiver that pop out to you? I mean, the reckless GPP punts, probably JJ Nelson at 5,200 going up against the Lions. Uh, Robbie Anderson, if you trust the volume, kind of interesting. I'd like him more in a full PPR scenario. So, yeah, that, that pretty much covers it. Yeah, it, it's not a great, you know, I mean, unless you really want to go down and really want to take a chance on Cooper Cup at 49. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know if that's the way you want to go necessarily. If, if he returned value, it wouldn't shock me. Uh, you know, I, I know there's another polarizing guy with Cooper Cup. I like Cup. Uh, but I don't know if I'm ready to take the plunge with him when there's money on the line. All right, let's hit tight end. Uh, well, hold on on Cup. Oh, for okay. A Cup, oh, yeah. Cup, Cup's all right. I mean, like he's he's going to be. We saw it in the preseason that like, he was running a lot of short and underneath. Oh, rounds. I like him. Yeah, so he, it, he's it, like Ricky Prohl to me. You remember Ricky Prohl? Yeah, I, I see like kind of I don't know early career Danny Amendola there too. Just in right. Terms of That's exactly you know in that doing. long line of old Rams, <laughs> Ricky Prohl, Danny Amendola, and and there's nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. Um, but oh, there's just one last player to bring up at the receiver position. Kendall Wright, who's going to be, I think, really chalky. I've heard a lot of people talking about him. 5,200, game script's favorable. He's on the short list of guys you do expect Glennon to throw to. I mean, it, it's just like he has to bring those targets somewhere. Mm-hmm. So 10 to 12 targets for Kendall Wright at 5,200 makes him really interesting. 
Yeah, I agree. I do think he's going to be so heavily owned, though, in tournaments that that's enough for me that, you know, I would try my best to avoid it. But if you're doing multiples and you want to have one of him in there, I, I totally understand. Uh, Jordan Reed, top of the tight end board at 71. Greg Olson at 66. I think, you know, the problem with Jordan Reed is, you know, you always get concerned, am I going to make an investment in a guy who's going to finish this game? And I think right now that's my concern with Jordan Reed. It's not talent. It's even for a day, I have a tough time making an investment in Jordan Reed. I'd prefer to spend my money at Olsen, at Graham, at Delaney Walker, even at Eifert at 61. I think Eifert is a little bit underappreciated. Again, they say, well, he doesn't score touchdowns. Well, that's fine. That works for me. And at 6,100, that's all he's got to do in order to return volume in my world. So uh, who's your favorite tight end? Mine's Graham and Eifert. Those are the two that I got this week. Graham's been the default for me in a lot of lineups. And if I don't have quite enough cash to pull it off, Zach Ertz is the uh, the pivot for 300 less, 5,900. The, the volume was pretty big down the stretch. You know, I like that they added Elshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith. So they've got a true number one. They got a guy that stretches the field. I think that bodes well for Ertz seeing softer coverage underneath. Uh, the second year for, for Carson Wentz can only be a good thing. I thought Wentz looked pretty good when I saw a few uh, snapshots of him this preseason, just taking some shots downfield, showing the necessary arm strength to uh, really be a more prolific passer in year two. So I like Zach Ertz quite a bit because I think the red zone targets are going to be there. I think the Eagles-Redskins game will be one of the fun matchups this week too. I hope so. Yeah, I'm hoping it's for some fun matchups there because there's some on there like Jets, Bills, and a couple other ones where you look at it and you go, Ugh, you know, this isn't great. You know, <laughs> so you're just you're hoping that some of them will be interesting. Uh, let's let's talk about Austin Hooper a second. I know everybody you know talked about this guy in a lot of season long leagues, 4,700. You know, he's very cheap, but I, I'm again concerned about the amount of volume going his way. What are your thoughts on Hooper? Is that a is that a punt player is a little bit too much there, you know, in question for you to get behind? Too many questions for me. If I were going to go with a tight end under five thousand, and I don't even know if I'll build a lineup like this, Evan Ingram's the guy. And that's that's in a scenario where Beckham's not playing because Evan Ingram is basically a fast receiver who's tight end eligible. That's that's essentially what he is. So you know, you're looking for the home run. That's where it would go. Uh, you know, if we had the Bucks Dolphins matchup, I could see Julius Thomas at 5100 being interesting. That game, of course, not happening. So Ingram's my my cheap punt play if I decide to build a lineup that way this week. Now you still have Hunter Henry and Kyle Rudolph at 58. Uh, Henry played very well against Denver last year. Uh, Kyle Rudolph, uh, great with the red zone. Touches last year too. another guy that, you know, if you're playing the wraparound, those guys are definitely in play. If you're not, I agree with you hundred percent Ertz. I think the volume is going to be there because you're just not sure too. I think, you know, everybody assumes Alshon Jeffrey's there and Alshon Jeffrey is old Alshon Jeffrey with Cutler, but it takes a little while, you know, and I don't think one preseason is enough necessarily to get guys in rhythm. I mean, even last night you saw Cooks played well, but you know, there were some moments there with him and Brady where they're not quite on the same page yet. So I think it's going to take time. Uh, Jimmy Graham, 6,200. I'm telling you right now, if he has a big game, this is the last time you're going to see him in this price range. You know, he's going to be way higher than this. So you might have to take advantage of Jimmy Graham while he's there. And, you know, Delaney Walker is that other one too. Another guy that's got red zone appeal. Are you concerned there's too many mouths to feed now where Walker maybe not be as attractive as he was in years past to us? I think that's a concern from a season-long standpoint, but I think the case to, to use Delaney Walker early in the year makes more sense because of the uncertainty with how Corey Davis will, will, you know, will be utilized coming off the hamstring injury this preseason, uh, and Decker, you know, how much will they actually use Decker from the jump? I think that's where Walker 
early on in a matchup like this one with so many points expected is playable. But by the time we get to like week eight, week nine, if everyone's healthy, Walker seems like the kind of guy that could get squeezed in terms of his role from previous seasons, just not holding up. All right. The Houston Texans defense is 5,100. I, you know, some people don't like to pay up for defense. I'm telling you right now, this defense is going to be active. Blake Bortles is going to help that cause. I'm sure there's a few picks in his future. I'm sure this defense is going to be so wound up and that crowd's going to be insane. If you don't go back and watch the, the video of New Orleans coming back after Katrina and how emotional that was and how well they played. And this Houston Texans defense is for real with Watt and Clowney and all those guys. I know they lost Boyer, but still it's a very strong unit and Jacksonville, I, you know, struggling at quarterback, struggling to find an identity on offense. I think this is a great recipe for them for DFS. What are your thoughts on paying up for Houston? Yeah, I like Houston's defense anyway. And you, you add the narrative. That's just another like, layer on top of the Sunday. That's cherry on top really, as far as the, uh, extra reason to consider rolling them out there. You know the crowd's going to be fired up for this game. Uh, Bortles is a pick machine. He takes sacks. I mean, the, everything you're looking for in paying up for a defense is there this week for the Texans. And uh, that, that that's like, to me, that, that's the ultimate survivor pick this week too. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's what I told everybody. People told me I'm crazy to take New England. I said, no, nope, nope. In fact, I argued with uh, Jake Seeley, my radio partner, about it. He's like, I'm taking the Patriots because I don't like anybody. I said, nope. Can't do it. Not going to do it. And I'm a Pats fan. I'm telling you, it's Houston, and I'm going. And how many times are you going to like Houston all year? You know, I, I, that's the exact <laughs> argument I made yesterday in the office. I'm like, even when they play Jacksonville in Jacksonville later this year with Tom, Tom Savage, Savage or Don <laughs> Watson as a rookie, do I really trust Houston as a road team? No. Am I going to want to use them if Andrew Luck's back and they're playing Indy at home later in the year? No. Like I just. I went through it and I was like, this is it. This is my window. This is my time to use the Texans. And you know, they're five and a half point favorites, I think, or four and a half point favorites. But Jacksonville's not good. Like, yeah. we, we, we know Jacksonville will disappoint. And when they disappoint, that's good for the opposing defense. So I like the Texans as the first defense. They deserve to be the most expensive defense on the board. The Bills at 4,700 are an interesting pivot. You know, the Jets are a train wreck, as we know. So I, I could see the, the case for that. Uh, and the Steelers at 4,800 are kind of in the, in the mix for me, too. I mean, with the Browns uh, rolling Deshaun Kaiser out there, I'm, I'm glad they're playing Kaiser, but there will be growing pains. There, are, there always are growing pains with, with young quarterbacks. So 4,800 for the Steelers' defense seems pretty fair this week as well. I love guys underneath that. I love the Rams, even without Aaron Donald, against Indianapolis at home. I think that unit is very good, and, and I know Donald is great, but still, I, I think the Rams could do enough against Scott Tolzien to keep that one uh, to be profitable. Arizona as well, even though it's on the road at Detroit, Matt Stafford always over aggressive. I think that secondary is outstanding. One of the best in the league. So I like the interception potential there and the turnover potential. Uh, those are two defenses I've got my eye on. Uh, if you're going to punt defense, which I don't like to do, I got to tell you, I'm not a big fan of doing that. Is there one for you that pops out where you say, all right, you know, we, I like this unit because of turnover potential. I like this unit because of, you know, matchup maybe a little bit underrated. I mean, hell, you know, the Seahawks are only 45. I don't know if that enters into it because Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, or is that enough to really even get behind and say, hey, look, the ownership's going to be super low here. No, I'm not going not gonna to chase Seattle in this spot. But um, Yeah, I think 46 gonna, is my cutoff. Those teams is where, like, okay, after that, everybody else is too much of a question. Yeah, and even then, like, I, I'm probably not pivoting away from Houston. Right? No. I think I'm just going to be all Houston for my defense this week on FanDuel. I, I can't argue that at all. All right, give me your one kicker. Who you like? 
usually it's Tucker by default. So you can't always play them because the money factor actually does weigh in. And if, if anything, I'm going to try to save a couple hundred bucks there as opposed to chopping down my budget somewhere else. So I, I guess if I'm looking for a slightly cheaper kicker, like Prater is indoors, 4,700. That game's, you know, Arizona's favored, but not by much. And we know the Lions can move the ball a little, but they might stall out a few times. Arizona's secondary is pretty good. So I guess it's Matt Prater this week, Joe. Over two and a half million players have won cash prizes playing on FanDuel. To take advantage of our special offer for new users, sign up today at FanDuel.com slash RotoWire and you'll get a free six-month RotoWire subscription plus free entry into the NFL Sunday Million, which offers more than one million in cash prizes with your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com slash RotoWire. Void where prohibited. All right, there you have it. You can follow him on Twitter at Derek Van Riper. You can follow me at Joe Pisa PS17. For everybody here at RotoWire, have a great weekend of daily fantasy.